Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The poem says... Human voices wake us, and we drown. But I've made this podcast with the belief that human voices are what we need. And so, whether from a year or 3,000 years ago, whether poetry or prose, whether fiction or diary or biography, here are the best things we have ever thought, written, or said. When Seamus Heaney published his uh, book called Seeing Things in 1991, included there is a 48-part sequence of poems called Squarings uh, that I think are probably the best thing he ever did. Uh, They may even uh, surpass the poems that he wrote in uh, his 1975 book North. Um, And I just wanted to spend the next few days reading my favorites from them, maybe a dozen or so of the ones that I think are the best. Um, they don't even have any titles, they're just numbered. And uh, the first of the one that I, first of the ones that I love is uh, the second one in the entire sequence, number two. And it says this, roof it again, batten down, dig in, drink out of tin, Know the scullery cold, a latch, a door bar, forged tongs and a grate. Touch the crossbeam, drive iron in a wall, hang a line to verify the plum from lintel, coping stone and chimney breast. Relocate the bedrock in the threshold, take squarings from the recessed gable pane, make your study the unregarded floor. Sink every impulse like a bolt. Secure the bastion of sensation. Do not waver into language. Do not waver in it. And the next one is number eight. The annals say, When the monks of Clonmacnoise were all at prayers inside the oratory, A ship appeared above them in the air. The anchor dragged along behind so deep, it hooked itself into the altar rails. And then, as the big hull rocked to a standstill, a crewman shinned and grappled down the rope and struggled to release it, but in vain. This man can't bear our life here, and will drown, the abbot said, unless we help him. So... They did. The freed ship sailed, and the man climbed back out of the marvelous as he had known it. And uh, just as an aside, uh, that story, I first came across that story, must have been in the seventh or the eighth grade, reading Whitley Strieber's book Communion, uh, his uh, memoir of, uh, first of his memoirs of 
having been abducted by aliens. And this story is told uh, because it really is in the annals of the monks. Um, the story was told as proof of there being aliens and alien abductions uh, far back in the past. And then, uh, if you have a chance to find the old Penguin classic called A Celtic Miscellany, uh, Kenneth Hurlstone Jackson translates uh, a wonderful, uh, it's an appropriate title, he does a, a wonderful miscellany of stuff from all over Celtic uh, mythology and literature. And this is one of the stories that he uh, translates there as well. And I'm pretty sure that that is where Haney first uh, saw this story. Uh, the next one, and I suppose the last one I'll lead tonight, read tonight, is number 15. And strike this scene in gold too, in relief, so that a greedy eye cannot exhaust it. Stable straw, Rembrandt gleam and burnish, where my father bends to a tea chest packed with salt. The hurricane lamp held up at eye level, in his bunched left fist, his right hand foraging for the unbleeding, vivid-fleshed bacon, home-cured hocks pulled up into the light for pondering a while and putting back. That night I owned the piled grain of Egypt. I watched the sentry's torchlight on the hoard. I stood in the door unseen and blazed upon. And here are three more poems from Seamus Heaney's sequence called Squarings. This is number 25. Traveling south at dawn, going full out through high up Stonewall country, the rocks still cold, rainwater gleaming here and there ahead. I took a turn and met the fox stock still, face to face in the middle of the road. A wildness tore through me as he dipped and wheeled in a level running tawny breakaway. Oh, neat head, fabled brush and astonished eye, my blue Volkswagen flared into with morning. Let rebirth come through water, through desire, through crawling backwards across clinic floors. I have to cross back through that startled iris. And this is number 27. Everything flows. Even a solid man, a pillar to himself and to his trade, all yellow boots and stick and soft felt hat, can sprout wings at the ankle and grow fleet as the god of fair days, stone posts, roads and crossroads, guardian of travelers and psychopomp. Look for a man with an ash plant on the boat, my father told his sister, setting out for London and stay near him all night, and you'll be safe. Flow on, flow on, the journey of the soul with its soul guide, and the mysteries of dealing men 
with sticks. And this is number 31. Not an avenue and not a bower. For a quarter mile or so, where the country road is running straight across North Antrim Bog, tall old fir trees lined on both sides, Scotch firs, that is, calligraphic shocks, bushed and tufted in prevailing winds. You drive into a meaning made of trees, or not exactly trees. It is a sense of running through and under, without let, of glimpse and dapple, a life all trace and skim the car has vanished out of, a fanned nape sensitive to the millionth of a flicker. And here are the last five poems I was going to read from Seamus Heaney's much longer uh, sequence of poems called Squarings from his 1991 book called Seeing Things. This is number 32. Running water never disappointed. Crossing water always further something. Stepping stones were stations of the soul. A kesh could mean the track, some called a cause, raised above the wetness of the bog, or the cause where it bridged old drains and streams. It steadies me to tell these things. Also, I cannot mention keshes or the ford without my father's shade appearing to me on a path toward sunset, eyeing spades and clothes that turf cutters stowed perhaps, or souls cast off before they crossed the log that spans the burn. And as usual, Heaney cannot help but write about uh, now the memory of his father. This is uh, number 40. I was four, but I turned 400 maybe encountering the ancient, dampish feel of a clay floor, maybe four thousand even. Anyhow, there it was, milk poured for cats and a rank puddle place, splash-darkened mold around the terracotta watercrock, ground of being, body's deep obedience to all its shifting tenses, a half-door opening directly into starlight, out of that earth house I inherited a stack of singular, cold memory weights to load me, hand and foot, in the scale of things. And number 42. Heather and cash and turf stacks reappear, summer by summer still, grasshoppers and all, the same yet rarer, Fields of the nearly blessed where gaunt ones in their shirt sleeves stooped and dug or stood alone at dusk, surveying bog banks. Apparitions now, yet active still and territorial, still sure of their ground, still 
interested, not knowing how far the country of the shades has been pushed back, how long the lark has stopped outside these fields, and only seems unstoppable to them, caught like a far hill in a freak of sunshine. And this is number 45. For certain ones, what was written may come true. They shall live on in the distance at the mouths of rivers. For our ones, no. They will re-enter dryness that was heaven on earth to them, happy to eat the scones baked out of clay. For some, perhaps, the delta's reed beds and cold, bright-footed seabirds always wheeling. For our ones, snuff and hobsoot and the heat off ashes. And a judge who comes between them and the sun and a pillar of radiant house dust. And the very last one, number, last one for me, number 46. Mountain air from the mountain up behind. Out front, the end of summer, stone-walled fields. And in a slated house, the fiddle going like a flat stone skimmed at sunset. Or the irrevocable slipstream of flat earth still fleeing behind space. Was music once a proof of God's existence? As long as it admits things beyond measure, that supposition stands. So let the ear attend like a farmhouse window in placid light, where the extravagant passed once under full sail into the longed for. Here are two more poems from James Heaney's collection, Seeing Things. The first is the title poem called Seeing Things. Inishbofen on a Sunday morning, sunlight, turf smoke, seagulls, boat slip, diesel. One by one we were being handed down into a boat that dipped and shilly-shallied scarcely every time. We sat tight on short cross benches in nervous twos and threes, obedient, newly close, nobody speaking except the boatmen, as the gunwales sank and seemed they might ship water any minute. The sea was very calm, but even so, when the engine kicked and our ferrymen swayed for balance, reaching for the tiller, I panicked at the shiftiness and heft of the craft itself. What guaranteed us that quick response and buoyancy and swim kept me in agony. All the time, as we went sailing evenly across the deep, still, seeable down into water, it was as if I looked from another boat sailing through air far up and could see how riskily we fared into the morning and loved in vain our bare, bowed, numbered heads. 
claritas. The dry-eyed Latin word is perfect for the carved stone of the water where Jesus stands up to his unwet knees and John the Baptist pours out more water over his head. All this in bright sunlight on the facade of a cathedral. Lines hard and thin and sinuous represent the flowing water. Down between the lines little antic fish are all go, nothing else. And yet in that utter visibility the stone's alive with what's invisible. Waterweed, stirred sand grains hurrying off, the shadowy unshadowed stream itself. All afternoon heat wavered on the steps, and the air we stood up to our eyes in wavered like a zigzag hieroglyph for life itself. Once upon a time my undrowned father walked into our yard. He had gone to spray potatoes in a field on the river bank and wouldn't bring me with him. The horse sprayer was too big and newfangled. Blue stone might burn me in the eyes. The horse was fresh. I might scare the horse, and so on. I threw stones at a bird on the shed roof, as much for the clatter of the stones as anything. But when he came back, I was inside the house, and saw him out the window, scatter-eyed and daunted, strange without his hat, his step unguided, his ghosthood imminent. When he was turning on the river bank, the horse had rusted and reared up and pitched cart and sprayer and everything off balance, so the whole rig went over into a deep whirlpool, hoofs, chains, shafts, cart wheels, barrel and tackle all tumbling off the world, and the hat already merrily swept along the quieter reaches. That afternoon I saw him face to face. He came to me with his damp footprints out of the river, and there was nothing between us there that might not still be happily ever after. And as we will learn when I read from the interviews that Heaney gave about this collection, uh, it was written in part uh, as a response to the death of Heaney's father. And uh, that is what this uh, second poem is about. It's only three very short lines, and the title is 1187. And this is all it says Dangerous pavements, but I face the ice this year with my father's stick. Any comments or suggestions for readings I should make in future episodes can be emailed to Human Voices Wake Us, the number one, at gmail.com. Links to each work used in this episode can be found in the episode description. If you enjoy Human Voices Wake Us, you can subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. The music here is Duke Ellington's Arabesque Cookie.